0: scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation not, excuse me, Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, I'm certainly delighted that we can all be together. I'm very grateful for the privilege that we have to come and worship God and uh, what a wonderful day of worship it has been uh, beautiful singing Thank you, Jonathan for that and for the fine prayers and for all the men that have waited on us and the Lord's Supper and have been involved in the worship and leadership of the worship we're very grateful for you and grateful to you for those who are visiting with us we're delighted to have you and we uh, have a special group of young people with us today and They have some special plans that uh, they'll talk about later. We're very happy to have you with us this morning and hope that you'll come back and be with us. We meet tonight at 6 o'clock, and we hope that you'll come whenever you can. You're always welcome at the Broadway congregation, so thank you for being with us. and We encourage you to come back. We're encouraged by your visit. I wanted to talk about one of my favorite subjects today, Jesus the master teacher. We've all had teachers that really have impressed our lives, haven't we? We've had men and women that really made a special contribution to our understanding and to our thinking. And there's none greater than Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher of all. Uh, I don't know that we think of Jesus so much as a teacher. And I thought a way to consider this would be to look at Isaiah chapter 2. second chapter of Isaiah talks about Jesus teaching us of his ways. It's an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. And it tells us of how important his teaching is going to be. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. That's a great statement coming from Old Testament passage, like Isaiah, a great prophet of God who was talking about the coming Messiah. But then when you turn to Matthew, and I thought of this as a text also for the lesson today, Matthew chapter 5. You see Jesus doing the very thing that Isaiah prophesied that he would do. In Matthew chapter 5, you have the Sermon on the Mount. And notice how Jesus does this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... And on he goes into that wonderful Sermon on the Mount. He was the master teacher. There's no teacher like Jesus. Sometimes they called him rabbi. That's what the word rabbi means, or rabboni, my teacher, my great one. And a number of times Jesus was thought of in this particular regard. I thought I'd talk a little bit about teaching. And Jesus especially is a teacher. That Jesus, 45 times in the New Testament, is referred to as teacher, Nicodemus, in chapter 3 of John. Isn't that an interesting chapter? It talks about the new birth there, being born from above. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, see there's our word, Rabbi, my teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The idea there being that we know you're a teacher that's come from God. Uh, The miracles which you perform surely authenticate and tell us of the great signs that you're doing, the great things, the great lessons that you are giving us. The Bible makes clear Jesus was the greatest of teachers. You can go to college, and I hope you do, if you haven't already. And you can enroll, especially in uh, Christian colleges, in courses where they will have classes like Jesus as the teacher, or Jesus the master teacher, or the methods of Jesus in teaching. And those will be good classes to take, because it helps us understand how Jesus taught. He not only knew what to say, He knew how to say it. And sometimes... We don't know what to say. And then sometimes when we do know what to say, we don't know how to say it. We may say it the wrong way, but Jesus never had that problem. In Matthew chapter 10, as he sends the disciples out, uh, he begins to describe the matters that they're going to face. And he says, verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough. For the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. Jesus is saying that we should be more like him. That we should devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves to helping others, to teach others, and that we should be like him in this particular regard. Jesus was an unusual teacher. You'll have a lot of teachers in your life. But Jesus was the most unusual teacher because he lived his message. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 he said, now follow me insofar as I follow Christ. The word he uses there is imitate me. Imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. Or you follow me insofar as I am following Christ. You follow in that example as well. Can you do that? Can you say that? Can you as a parent say, now you Follow me, and you do as I do, because I'm trying to do and live like Christ. And you do that. Now, you follow me as your example, because I'm following Christ as my example. Can you, as a Bible class teacher, say that? Now, you students, you follow my example. Because I'm following Christ as my... He's my teacher, and I'm following Him as my example I'm following his life so you follow me because I'm following him or maybe on the job as a co-worker can you say that you follow my example because I'm following the example of Christ and I'm living like he taught me to live so you can follow me as I live because that's the one I'm following after if we can't say that we should because we ought to be imitating our teacher. We ought to be imitating the one who lived us, who lived and died for us. And means so much for us. Even in the bad days. The worst of all possible days. Even in those days. Jesus serves as the right kind of example for us. As a teacher. I found this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the verse is verse 21. For... To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now I read that from first Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one and twenty-two. And even in the bad days when he was suffering, he's saying very clearly there, follow his example, even in those days. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And even in the bad days, he didn't commit any sin. Neither was there any wrong statement to be found in his mouth. He's the perfect example to follow. He's the perfect teacher. Now this sometimes came up in my mind. Especially when I was a student in school. And I have to say, as I was younger, I was questioning everything and I was looking at everything. And one of the things that came up in my mind, though I did not say it, it was in my mind. Why should I be following you? Why should I be doing what you're doing? Another question always came up in my mind when I was in class. And I'll tell you where it came up. It came up in Algebra 1 and in Geometry. This question always came up in my mind. Why do I need to study this? Why am I going through this? Why is this important? And that's a question that students will always ask. It's not just me asking that question. Every student's going to ask the question, Why should I be following you? Why should I be listening to you? Why do I need this? Why do I need to learn this? A teacher is going to be sensitive to that particular matter and is going to address that point with regard to those who are listening to him. In Mark chapter 12, there in verse 38, he's kind of answering or addressing himself to that matter. In his teaching, he said beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and in the places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they may receive the greater condemnation. Jesus, you see, understands what we need to know. Jesus should be our teacher and we should follow him because he knows what we need to learn. And he knows that We need to put it into practice. And he's making this very point about the people of his day. Don't be just giving some kind of show and pretense with regard to your religious faith. Now the scribes and the Pharisees very much like to do that. They love to sit in Moses' seat and act like very powerful teachers. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. You may want to read that in your Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 23. It's verse 1 and 2. And he's saying, now look at those teachers. Now they love to sit in Moses' seat, a position of authority and a position that a teacher would have. In those days, a teacher didn't stand up. In those days, a teacher would sit down, and he would address his class sitting down in a sitting position, whereas we generally have a posture more of teaching from standing up. And as we stand up, we begin to address the class or the audience that we might be teaching. He says, now, these Pharisees, they love to sit in their teaching, and they love to sit in Moses' seat. But I want to tell you something about them. They'll talk to you about the Word of God, And listen to them as to what the Word of God says. But they don't practice what the Word of God says. They teach, but they don't practice. What we need is a teacher that I can look to and say, yes, I can follow you. What we need is a teacher that will tell us, what I need to learn, and why. Why I need it. And answer those questions for me so that I can really take to heart the lessons that he has in mind. If I simply sit in a class and I'm wondering in my mind, why should I be listening to you? Or, why do I need to learn this? Why do I need to put this into practice? How can I do it? I'm not going to learn much from the teacher, but when I hear a teacher tell me, You need to follow this teacher. Here's why. And you need to listen to what the teacher is telling you. And here is why. Then I begin to realize Jesus is the master teacher. And he gives us the lessons that we desperately need. So I should listen to Jesus, and he should be my teacher. You know why? Because he's completely knowledgeable. He knows all there is to know about the subject. He knows all there is to know about me and my origin. He was there. Isn't that an amazing thing the Bible teaches us? Colossians chapter 1, um, John chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The plural use of the pronouns there are conveying for us the idea that it was more than just God the Father, There, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul makes very clear the matter in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Why, the supremacy of Christ, even in the matter of creation. And what a wonderful paragraph that is, coming from one of those prison epistles. He's totally knowledgeable. He knows where I came from. He knows what my purpose is. Christ knows. He knows what I'm all about, and He knows what I need to be doing. He knows what my future is going to be. I need to listen to Him as the master teacher because He's so knowledgeable. He knows all that can be known with regard to me, my origin, my life, my future. I need to be listening to Him. I need to be giving Him my direction, my attention, my consideration. For you know what the Old Testament prophet said, Jeremiah chapter 10 and 23, It's not in man to direct his own steps. He can't do it. Now, he'll try. That Bible passage came from Jeremiah 10. You might want to mark it in the pages of your own Bible. Verse 23. It's not within man to direct his own steps. We will try. But we're going to make a mistake of it. Another great verse on this would have to be Proverbs chapter 3. The Old Testament wise man. Proverbs chapter 3 is telling me about the matter. Verses 5 and verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. He's saying the same thing Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, Jeremiah ten twenty three. He's saying, that it's not within you to direct your own steps. You don't know how to go all on your own. Here the wise man in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let me tell you what that means. The original Hebrew word there for leaning on the understanding is the idea of leaning on a sharp pointed stick. And when you lean on that sharp pointed stick, it's going to run you through. Do not lean on your own understanding. It's like a sharp pointed stick and it's going to run you through every time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. You know why? Because he knows. He knows and you and I do not know. We do not know our comings and goings. We do not know how to live without direction from the master teacher. Now we think we do. We think we got it all figured out. We think that we understand what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But we do not. And one thing the Bible is admonishing us is don't lean on your own understanding. It's like a sharp pointed stick. It's going to run you through. But you go to the master teacher. You go to the knowledgeable one. The one who knows you through and through. Who was there at creation. Who knows you presently. Who knows your future. Who knows your purpose. That's who you need to listen to. You need to follow him. Let me illustrate that. I like to use Bible illustrations. Romans chapter 9, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Paul is dealing with the problem of the Jews who have rejected the gospel. And this is a real issue here, and and uh, it becomes an important part of the book of Romans. In Romans, it's talking about the justification of man through obedient faith. And it's talking about man's condemnation, man guilty of sin, what God has done to save man from sin, and the role of Christ, and all of that. What a great book the book of Romans is. And he comes down to this point about, what about people who rejected the gospel? And he comes to Romans 9, 10, and 11, and he deals with that point there. Many of the Jews have rejected the gospel. And they didn't want Christ. And they rejected Christ. And what does he say in that particular matter? Well, he says by... Uh, verse 11 chapter 11 verse 32 for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all now that's a great statement but I need to explain it because it's kind of a complicated passage right there I'm in Romans chapter 11 and I'm illustrating the point we need to listen to the master teacher because the master teacher knows I don't so when Paul deals by inspiration with this idea about the Jews not obeying the gospel He says, now you Gentiles, you Gentiles have obeyed the gospel. They've rejected it, but you've obeyed it. And hopefully they will see the benefits of your obeying and the Jews will be motivated to obey it too. And God doesn't regret the gifts that he gave Old Testament Israel for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, verse 29. He he doesn't regret picking Israel and blessing Israel and helping Israel along. Even though Israel later in New Testament times, many of them, most of them would reject the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It could just be their rejection. You have now the opportunity to obey and you did. And maybe they will see what a wonderful thing it is for you to obey and in turn they'll be motivated to obey. One thing is for sure, all are guilty of disobedience and God wants to pour mercy upon every one of them. Verse 32. I tried to explain that as simply as I know how. It's a rather complicated point that Paul is arguing here, but it's a very powerful point. Take advantage of the opportunity. Maybe that opportunity will motivate others to obey the gospel. After all, God knows what He's doing here in giving us the gospel, in giving us the Christ, in urging us to obey the same. And did you notice in that passage, let me just read it a time or two. How many times you use the word disobedient there in that paragraph? So they too have now been disobedient. In order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience. And if you go back on up there, verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedient. That word disobedient, disobedience, comes up over and over again in this little Bible paragraph. And you know why? Because he's saying faith involves hearing the Word of God and being obedient to it by responding properly to it. Some will not respond to the knowledgeable teacher. And some who recognize in their heart the truth he's giving them, they will respond to it by obedient faith. That's what it's about. You can get all the PhDs in the world. Get them all together. You give them all the material they need. All the assets that they want. As much time as they want. And they'll never, ever be able to come up to the hem of the garment of the master teacher. Now some days, you'll be enamored with teachers. But there's only one master teacher and everything that you learn is to be filtered through what the master teacher teaches Jesus Christ the one who knows everything about us and everything that we need to do. But I tell you what one thing about the master teacher he's honest he never lies. He tells me what I need to hear. Sometimes teachers are that way. Sometimes teachers will tell us, but they don't really tell us what we need to hear. Uh, They're kind and they're considerate, but they don't really explain it like it is. The master teacher does that. He tells you exactly what you need to know. One day he was standing before Pontius Pilate. And there, procurator of Judea. What a character he was. And the shadow of the cross was right on the horizon. And old Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, says, Now you say uh, you're a king. People say you're a king. Jesus answered 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. He'll be honest with you. When you go to the master teacher, he's going to tell you like it is, and he's going to be very honest. Now, he could have sidestepped that issue. You know, on these... um, uh, press conferences and that kind of thing. You ever watch that on television? They got all these microphones and somebody's asking a question. And you can see how that the answer is given. He hedges here, he hedges there. He might not even answer that question at all and talk about something entirely different. And I'm listening to that and I say, he didn't even answer that. He didn't try to answer that. Or uh, they hedging around that or they pettifog the matter. Or, you know, they're so ambiguous in their language. Who knows what they mean by that? The master teacher's never that way. He's honest and straightforward. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. Sometimes people don't like that. They don't like to be told the very thing that they need to hear. But that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. He is so honest and straightforward in these particular matters young lawyer came up to Jesus one time. A lawyer in Bible times, not like a lawyer today. A lawyer in Bible times is more of a scribe. He's a a keeper of the law. He writes the law down in the scriptorium. And he's very conversant with the law. Behold, a lawyer stood up to him to test him, saying, verse 25, Luke chapter 10, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You see what Jesus did there? What does the Bible say for you? do? This guy gets up and he says, Well, now, what, do you, what should I do in order to inherit eternal life? He says, Well, what does the Bible say? What does the law say? How do you read it? He brought him right back to the Word of God. He's very honest. He could have just come up with some kind of thing on his own, but he wouldn't do that. While in turn, he says, Now, what does the Word of God say? That's what you need to be doing. It's a good question this man has. And Jesus gave the perfect answer. He always does. The perfect answer there is, what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? Turn with me to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and verse 1. Isn't this a great verse? It talks about the honesty of the teacher. Behold, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, Now the word spirit there refers to person. He's talking about a false teacher. He's talking about a false prophet. He says, now don't believe every teacher that comes along because they're not going to be honest. They're going to be false teachers. And you've got to be careful what you hear. And you've got to weigh everything you hear and everything that is taught by means of what does the Word of God say. The master teacher is the one who will always be honest with you. He will always tell you what you need to hear. But I tell you, when I think about the master teacher, he's so loving. And this is something which just leaps from the page. I have been in classrooms where the teacher didn't care whether we were there or not. In fact, I had a a course one time in economics. And I have to confess, I got a D in that class and I'm proud of it. I worked hard to get it. And I'm happy that that showed up on my transcript, D, because I worked very hard to get it. And the f- first day of class, and the huge auditorium filled with students, and he says, I don't care where you come to this class or not, but you make sure you come the first day and you come the last day. If you never come back to this class, I don't care. And that was his attitude. He didn't care whether we came to class or not. He didn't care anything about us. That might be some reflection about the kind of grade that I received in that particular course because the teacher had no concern for his students. But that's not true with a master teacher. The master teacher, Jesus Christ the Righteous, loves his students. And he loves you And he's concerned with you. Not only does he know you, not only is he honest with you, he loves you. There's an interesting thing that took place in the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 took place about verse 34. The feeding of the 5,000. Mark brings these points up, you know. Mark 6 and 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He was concerned for his students. It's a sad deal, isn't it? They're like sheep without a shepherd. That means they don't have any leader. They don't have a spiritual leader. They don't have a spiritual guide. And he was concerned for them. And he had compassion for them. Because they were confused. And he began to teach them many things. I wonder if Jesus filled his sermons and his teachings with a lot of funny stories. Or maybe he just gave them a pep talk. Or maybe... He turned it into some kind of rally where he really tried to get them all charged up. Mark says he taught them many things. And the things which he taught them were the things that they needed to know. And he taught them with great love and care in his heart. There's another passage like that about the love of Christ, and I dare not miss it. It's in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 as I mentioned mentions these things verse 17 and as he was sitting out on his setting out on his journey a man ran up to him knelt before him and asked him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life good question you see there Mark 10 verse 18 and Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except god alone and i'll explain that on another occasion Now you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now watch this in verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disenheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do you see what happened there? Jesus looked at that man, and he loved him. He said, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to say it lovingly, but this is what you need to do. You need to sell your possessions. You need to give it to the poor. And you need to come and follow me. And you know what that man did? He walked away filled with sorrow. You know why he walked away filled with sorrow? Because he loved his possessions more than he loved service to God. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus told him the very thing he needed to know. Jesus knew that he had a conflict in his heart and his mind. The conflict in his heart and his mind is, I want to obey God. I want to serve God. But I love my possessions so much. What can I do in order to obtain eternal life? Jesus said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what you need to do here. I'm going to say it lovingly. You sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. And you come and you follow me. And that man was so conflicted over that love that he in turn loved possessions more than he loved service to God and devotion and dedication to the will of God. What a great teacher. Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10, verse 38. Jesus' life was spent making men wise. Men now learn to love God as they should. He opened up the door to heaven for every one of us. And now because of it, We have the hope for obtaining eternal life. And as I thought about these matters and I was looking through this discussion, I thought, you know, I see something else here in the pages of the Bible. Jesus is so unselfish. He didn't do this for his own popularity. That was not in the mix at all. He is a man, an individual, a teacher of great paradoxes described as a king but he was born in a manger he righteous before God but he died as a criminal he is the Lord but he washed the disciples feet he's the sinless one yet he ate and drank with sinners to lift them up he's the one who died so that we can live so unselfish all oh, the joys of heaven, yet he gave all that up, second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine. I love to read and talk about that passage, how that Jesus gave all that up for your sakes, He became rich, he became poor, so that you could become rich, so unselfish in his mouth that 's what a great teacher is he 's the master teacher, totally knowledgeable, honest in every respect he 's going to tell us what we need to hear. Sometimes we don't like to hear it, but He's going to be honest with us and tell us anyway. And He's going to tell us with love in His heart because He loves us so much. And He's so unselfish. He's doing all that for me. Jesus is the master teacher. You need to listen to Him. You need to obey Him. And you need to do it today. If Jesus were here telling you to do something, would you do it? I'm sure that you would. Jesus, by means of the Scripture, is telling us to repent of our sins and confess our faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Notice what he said in Mark 16, 15, 16. What the apostles taught in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. What he told the apostles to teach in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the master teacher speaking to you through his word. Now he's not here today. He's at God's right hand serving and reigning as king over his kingdom, the New Testament church. Which you can be a part of if you'll listen to the master teacher. And I pray you do it today. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.